being hit with another plane and so many other things, but it was an amazing time in America. We were Americans, and uh, you couldn't buy a flag anywhere. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, people randomly just at the mall or wherever else just broke out singing, God bless America. And, uh, it, you know, there was such a time of national pride and, dare I say, somewhat of a turning back to God. Uh, it was all about God bless America again. And people vowed that they would never forget what happened or what it felt like to have that national unity, to have that, that return back to God. I remember hearing a message, um, or at least a, a, a clip of a message from a uh, one of these churches downtown New York City, it was just filled to capacity uh, on the Sunday after 9-11 happened, and just a strong message that was preached by the pastor uh, in the message that day, just telling America, you need to turn back to God, and people accepting that and responding to that message, and we'll never forget this, and we'll never turn away from God again. It didn't take long, though, and we were right back where we started, and in a lot of ways, honestly, a whole lot worse off, I think. Let me draw your attention to this passage in Romans. He says this in Romans, Paul speaking and writing here in Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. It says this, And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Our lives revolve around time. We have a time to get up. We have a time to be at work or school. We have a time for lunch. We have a time to, to go home and a time to go to bed and all of those things. Our lives are governed by time. Solomon acknowledged that when he penned Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 through 8, and it's a very familiar verse to us, verses to us, a great passage regarding time. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, he says. And in our text for today, Paul uses the same phrase, knowing the time. Is there hope for America? Time is running out, but I believe there is, and I think this passage in Romans holds the key. And so this morning, for a few minutes, I want to look at this passage and eventually get to the point where we see that there is no time like the present. There is no time like the present. Let's pray, and then we'll look at a few things from this passage this morning. Father, again, we thank you for an opportunity to be here. Thank you for an opportunity we have to open your word. I pray that you'd help us to never take that for granted. Pray that you'd help us to listen and pay attention with our hearts open this morning from your word and that you'd give us something that we can use that will help us in our church, that will help us individually, it will help us as a nation. God will thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I think we see here in Romans chapter 13 is that Paul speaks about the current age. He says there in verse number 12, the night is far spent. That's, that's Paul's description of the present age. He refers to it as night. What is night? It's a time when the sun has departed. Over 2,000 years ago, the sun, S-O-N, came to this earth, and he was rejected, and he was crucified. And you don't need to turn over there, but he, Jesus Christ himself said in John chapter 3 and verse 19, and this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds or evil. Jesus Christ was that light. He was the sun. And, and so the sun departed and it's night. What are some characteristics of the night? Well, first of all, we see that the night is characterized by shadows. This is an hour of darkness, the shadows of societal darkness around us, 
Shadows of hatred and strife and murder and theft and rebellion hover over us, but it's also a time of spiritual darkness, ignorance of God's word. It used to be that, that, uh, that, that you could... Uh, that the people at least had an understanding of the Bible. They knew a few verses in the Bible. I don't even remember where exactly I saw it, but somebody was walking around uh, and actually using it as an opportunity to give the gospel. I thought it was a tremendous, uh, a tremendous tool. He was walking through a, a grocery store, and he said, I'll give you $500 if you can tell me one Bible verse. And there were so many people that couldn't even come up with one verse from the Bible with $500 on the line. Talk about an, uh, 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 a, a, an ignorance of God's word. And not only that they don't know it, but if you don't know it, you can't follow it. You can't live by it. You, you, uh, an ignorance of the Bible. And we're seeing that everywhere. It's that spiritual darkness, ambivalence concerning spiritual things, neglect of the house of God, indifference to the fact that eternity is approaching. And one of these days, we're going to be there forever. And we need to make sure that we have our eternity settled. But so many people don't even care. Many of them don't even realize that they're headed toward eternity. I've heard people say this many times. I can never be alone with my thoughts. I have to stay busy. I have to, I have, to have something going constantly. I have to have the, the TV running or music playing because I cannot be alone with my thoughts. You know why? Because they, they know that those thoughts inevitably turn towards eternity. They inevitably turn toward the fact that there's a huge gaping hole in their lives and they cannot handle that emptiness and that loneliness. Spiritual darkness in this world, in this country, and it's only getting deeper and darker. Night is characterized by shadows, but it's also characterized by sin. Much of what is evil takes place under the cover of darkness. Have you ever noticed that? Most of the murders, most of the crimes that, that Kevin and others run happen at night. They get very used to doing everything by flashlight because that's the way that most things happen. Most of the sin, most of the evil takes place under the cover of darkness. You walk into a bar and you see that it's so dimly lit. Why do men love darkness rather than light? Because their deeds are evil. John chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Men love darkness rather than light. And I think that holds true in a physical sense, but we also see it in a spiritual sense. When laws are made that uphold and promote wickedness, the culture and society gravitate toward that wickedness. And then they start to push the boundaries and they start to push for more wickedness and more darkness and more sin. And the more it gets legalized, the worse it gets. And as the world becomes a darker place, that only breeds more depravity and more sin. And as people get farther away from the morality of the Bible, as people get farther away from an understanding of the Bible, it just breeds more, more sin and more depravity. The night is also characterized by sleep. It's a time for relaxation, time for rest. And sadly, that's the condition in which we find most Christians today. They're sleeping away the night, slumbering instead of serving, spending their lives in, in restful repose while the surrounding world races toward a Christless eternity. What a sad commentary of the state of Christianity. I want to ask you this morning to evaluate where you are. Are you a Christian, first of all, but are you a Christian that is asleep as the world burns? Does it bother you? Does it burden your heart? Has it driven you to tears for the lost around you? It doesn't take much driving up and down Broad Street for my heart to start getting burdened for all of those people that are driving back and forth and going about their day 
completely ignorant of the fact that they are dying and on their way to hell. And it's our responsibility to share the message of the gospel with them. If we don't tell them, how are they ever going to know? Does that thought ever burden your heart? Has it driven you to your knees to beg God on behalf of your loved ones and your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers to beg God to open their eyes and to help them to understand that they need Jesus Christ? Or are you content to know that you're saved, that you're on your way to heaven, and you never feel concerned, you never allow that concern to move you into action for God? If that's the case, then, beloved, you must admit that you're asleep. Paul speaks of the current age, but back there in Romans chapter 13, Paul directs our attention to the coming age. He says this in Romans chapter 13 and verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. What's the day? It's a time when the sun returns. The sun comes out. The good news is that the day is at hand, the Bible says. The sun will soon make his reappearance. Jesus Christ, the sun, will soon make his reappearance. He's coming back for us. And if the, if the world tarries the way that it is, I don't think it's going to be long before Jesus Christ comes back. But what are some characteristics of the day? Well, number one, the day is characterized by radiance. As the sun returns and light fills the sky, it just it, it lights up and it's just the, the radiance of the sunrise in the morning. And soon, Jesus Christ, the sun, is going to return. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Light and darkness cannot coexist. When the sun returns, darkness flees away. And, and I, I don't know if you've heard this before. I, I can't remember exactly who it was that said it. But darkness flees under the light of one single candle. As long as there is one person that is still burning, as long as there is one person who is still giving light, there cannot be absolute darkness. But Jesus Christ, the sun, is going to return. And in him is no darkness at all. That's why the Bible says about heaven that there is no need of the sun. Jesus Christ is the light. And that's who we're trying to share this lost and dying world with. We want them and we need them to understand that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The day is characterized by radiance, but it's also characterized by revelation. The light reveals what transpired in the darkness. You see, uh, uh, you know, maybe, maybe some uh, crazy thing happened overnight and it's, it's hard to see it at night, but you go out there in the morning and you see the effects of all of it, Right? Uh, maybe, maybe an earthquake happened in the middle of the night or a tornado happened in the middle of the night and you can tell that there's a lot of damage but as the sun comes up in the morning you go out and you can really assess exactly what damage took place. One day everything is going to be brought to light. Keep your finger there in Romans chapter 13 but turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Because you see the hour is coming when truth will be revealed. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 5, the Bible says this, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, the secret things, the subtle things, the sinful things, the shameful things. All of those things are going to be brought to light by the Son. When Jesus Christ comes back, it's all going to be brought to light. And by the way, I think this, certainly this applies to the sinful world that we live in, but I want you to apply it to yourself today. Think about the things that you're going to have to stand before God and answer to him about in your life. The things that you think are hidden, the things that you think you are getting away with now because maybe nobody else in this world knows about those things. But one of these days, those things are going to be brought to light and you're going to have to hang your head in shame before a holy and righteous God and give an account for each one of those things in your life.
What a sad day that's going to be for so many people who have this, this presentation to everybody else of living a, a wonderful, holy, godly life, and then to find out that this is actually what your life was like. What a tough day that's going to be. I sure don't want to have to hang my head in shame and say, I can't believe I did all those things. can't believe that, that that's the way that I lived my life. But one day, all of those things are going to be brought to light. All of those things will be brought to light when the Son, Jesus Christ, reappears. The day is also characterized by responsibility. If you'd go back to Romans chapter 14, not only are all things going to be revealed, but accountability is going to be required. Romans chapter 14 and verse number 12 says this, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Oh, you look in Matthew chapter 12 and it says we're going to give account for every idle word that we speak. If God's taking account every word that we say and writing those things down, imagine what, what he's writing down about our actions. Imagine what he's writing down about our thoughts. Imagine what he's writing down about our motives and all the other things about us. He knows everything there is to know about us. He says in Hebrews chapter 12, there is nothing that is not naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what our motivations are. Even if the whole rest of the world thinks that our thoughts are pure, even if the whole rest of the world thinks our motivation is pure, and many times they are, but God knows when they're not. And we're going to give an account of those things to God, and all of those things are going to be brought to light when Jesus Christ comes back. The crux of the message this morning I want you to find here in Romans chapter 13 because Paul speaks of the current age and the coming age. And knowing all this, Paul reminds us of the crucial age. Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. And that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Now is the important time. This is the essential hour. In our modern language, I think Paul would be saying exactly what I said in the beginning of the message. There is no time like the present. Now, now, Paul says, don't put off to tomorrow what needs to be done today. Don't wait until you feel ready to live for the Lord. Don't, don't wait to serve him until you feel qualified to serve him. Don't wait until you finish living the way that you want to live your life to get right with God. Do it now. Do it today. There is no time like the present. And I think Paul gives us a few things here that will help us know what we should do in this crucial hour. Number one, he says it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. There in Romans chapter 13 and verse number 11, that knowing the time, he says, now it is high time to awake out of sleep. We must be moved from our state of of inactivity. We must be moved from our state of unconcern. We must be moved from our state of unawareness to a place of activity and busyness for the Lord. It's said of Napoleon that he gathered his generals around and, and uh, he, as they walked into his office, he was looking at a huge map of the world. And they, of course, were talking about conquering the entire world. Napoleon had, had great uh, military aspirations and he had great generals who helped him carry out those aspirations. And he conquered much of the world. But Napoleon pointed to a map uh, to, to, uh, to, the, to the nation of China on that map. And he told his generals, he said, there lies a sleeping giant. Let her sleep. 
And I can imagine that as Satan gathers his demons around in heaven and they dis- uh, in hell and they discuss their plans for this world, he points to the, to the church, the church of Christ, and says, there lies a sleeping giant. Let her sleep. Oh, if we could realize the potential that this church has in destroying the works of darkness and accomplishing the will of God in this world and giving the message of the gospel to a, to, to a lost and dying world, imagine if the church were to wake up. It's a giant. We could, we could do so much for the cause of Christ. If we could only get a glimpse of what we could accomplish in this small little church for the cause of Jesus Christ, I dare say that there would not be one sleeping Christian in this church. Yet all across this auditorium and all across this country, we have Christians who are asleep. And I don't say that to call you out. I say that because it's high time that we wake out of that sleep and realize what God wants to do through us and realize what God could do through us and then move forward for him. Boy, look at the size of this auditorium and the number of people that we have in here. If every Christian was on fire for God, we could reach this area for Jesus Christ in a matter of months if not weeks, because we would have a desire to go forward for the cause of Jesus Christ. And if we have that desire, and we are right with him, and we have his power, there is nothing that we could not accomplish for the cause of Jesus Christ and for his glory. It's time to wake up. Number two, Paul says, it's time to clean up. Verse number 12, he says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Here it is. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Hey, Christian, it's time to stop living like the world. It's time to stop living like you still are in darkness. I find it so interesting that, that, that those who are in the world are not trying to emulate Christians. Nobody in the world is trying to pretend to be a Christian when they're not. There are some who are in the church that are doing that. But nobody who's living in the world and, and following the lifestyle of the world and the, the entertainment of the world and all of those things is trying to pretend to be a Christian. They're not trying to live like a Christian. But all across this nation, we have Christians who are trying to pretend to be like the world and who are living like the world and trying to emulate the world. What a backwards mindset that is. The world's not trying to emulate us, but here we are who know the truth and who know what's right and who know what's wrong and know the difference between the two of those things out here trying to emulate the world. And then we wonder why we have no power. Then we wonder why we don't ever accomplish things for God. We wonder why the world is getting darker and why Christianity is, is, is getting more and more obsolete in this nation. We wonder why people have an ignorance of the word of God. We wonder why nobody knows the Bible. Because Christians are out there not being Christians and not being the light in the world. We're trying to be like the world. We want to be accepted by them instead of it having be the other way around. Boy, it's so backwards today. And then the devil wins when that happens. We must clean up our lives by getting rid of that bitterness and that greed and the lust and the selfishness and the gossip and the thousands of other sins that the devil uses to keep us from being everything that we can be for God. We see number three. It's time to wake up. It's time to clean up. But also number three, it's time to dress up. Verse number two, night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Verse number 14, just a couple verses later, he says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us to put on the armor of God. It's time to to have your loins girt about with truth. 
It's time to put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's time to wear the helmet of salvation. It's time to pick up the shield of faith. It's time to pick up the sword of the Spirit. It's time to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's the armor of God. Oh, we already are living in a world where we have to stand for the cause of Jesus Christ, but this world is getting darker and darker and darker, and, and more and more darts, the fiery darts of the wicked are going to be thrown at those who are trying to make a stand for Jesus Christ. We need to be prepared to stand strong in the hour of darkness. And I'm, I'm not trying to discourage you, but as dark as things look right now, I believe we're only in the twilight. Things are going to get a whole lot darker if we don't see a revival for the glory of God. Things are going to get a whole lot worse than they are right now. It's going to be a whole lot harder to be a Christian in this nation than it is right now. Oh, it's so tough. It's so miserable. Oh, everybody wants to make fun of me and laugh at me, and they don't want Christian values. And oh, they, they laugh at me for being a part of the church, and they laugh at me for wanting to get involved in this ministry and that ministry, and they laugh at me for bringing up the Bible. And boy, if all it ever comes to is people laugh at you, that's easy. That's easy. Persecution is coming to Christianity in America. The Bible is going to be outlawed as hate speech in America. Christians are going to be put in jail for preaching the word of God in America. And it's probably not going to be long before that happens. Assembly together like this in a church is going to be illegal in this nation. No, not in America. Yes, in America. It's happened in many other places before when we got rid of God. When we, stop, when we start turning our back on God, the only thing that's left is for darkness to take over. And once that darkness takes over, there's nothing to stop it. That's why it's so important that we stand up for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important that we share the message of the gospel. That's why it's so important that we spread Christianity as far and as wide as we possibly can. Because the darkness is coming, and unless we see a revival, we are going to face a persecution like we've never seen before in this nation. And it's probably not too far away. He says it's time to wake up. It's time to clean up. It's time to dress up. But number four, it's time to grow up. Romans chapter 13 there in verse number 13, he says, let us walk honestly as in the day. What he's saying is let's grow up walk in this current age as if we are already living in the coming age. Jesus Christ ought to be reflected in our lives. The songwriter Albert Orsborn wrote this, Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me, all his wonderful passion and purity. O thou spirit divine, all my nature refine, till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. When others look at us, they shouldn't see us. They should see Jesus Christ in us. I don't want people to see Steve Boots. I want people to see Jesus Christ in me. And if they look at me and they see me, then I've missed the point. I'm living for my own glory. And of course, God uses people. God uses vessels. But the glory doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. And if we're living for his glory, if we're living for him to be glorified by everything that we do, then he is going to be reflected in us, and people won't see us, they'll see him. Boy, the greatest thing that could ever happen is, is I preach a message, and somebody five years from now says, man, I don't remember who preached that message at all, but the message was Jesus Christ is glorified. That's what the point of our lives ought to be. Well, 
How many times have you heard stories of, of uh, people who, who were led to Jesus Christ by somebody who shared the message of the gospel with them, and they, they got saved, and, and they ended up moving out of the area, and they got, they got involved in church and everything else, and they say, I have no idea who that person was. I have no idea who it was that shared the gospel, who, 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 who led me to Jesus Christ, but I'm so thankful that they did. That's when Jesus Christ is glorified by our lives. It's not about us, it's about him. Can we still see revival in our lifetime? Absolutely we can. But honestly, our motivation for revival cannot be to see the world turned around. Our motivation for revival has to be the glory of God, the glory of Jesus Christ, and him lifted up. If that's why we want to see revival, then I believe we'll see it. Jesus Christ gets the glory for that then. Not us for turning the world around. Not us for turning an area or a community around. Jesus Christ gets glorified in that. In Wales, in 1904, there was a 27-year-old young man by the name of Evan Roberts. He was burdened to pray fervently that 100,000 souls would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. What a goal. Do you pray for one, two, five, ten? 100,000 souls he prayed for. And he got to earnestly and fervently praying for those 100,000 souls, and soon a flame of revival started to burn there in Wales. In the hearts of hundreds of these tough-minded coal miners and all these other workers there in the country of Wales, they threw down their picks, and soon revival started to spread all across that entire country and all the way into Great Britain. And the sovereign move of God became known as the Welsh Revival. And by the time the revival was considered to be over, over 100,000 people had come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. All because a 27-year-old young man got a burden in his heart for God to do something. Well, obviously, word spread about this revival, and a man from London heard about these revivals and decided he was going to go to Wales and check it out. And he got out at a country station, and he asked the policeman that was standing in the village square, Sir, can you tell me where is the Welsh, Welsh revival? And that police officer stood up in his blue uniform. He stood as high as he could, and he said, Sir, the revival is behind these buttons. That's where revival starts. 100,000 people getting saved is not revival. Revival starts in the hearts of the Christians, who will then get excited about sharing the message of the gospel. Turning a world upside down for the cause of Jesus Christ is not revival. That's a result of revival. Revival happens in the hearts of the Christians who once were alive and once were vibrant and once were on fire for the cause of Jesus Christ, but they've fallen asleep. They've died. They've quit living for Jesus Christ. Revival takes place in the hearts of somebody who just needs to be revived and brought back to life so God can use him again. John Newton, perhaps you remember his name. He's the one who wrote Amazing Grace. He lived in a dark day. The common with faithful ministers and their people was praying for the reappearance of revival. And John Newton was among them. He wrote to a friend. He said this, A revival is wanted here with us as it is with you. And some of us are praying and also singing for a revival. The song we are singing will be found on the reverse side of my letter. This was the song that he wrote. Savior, visit thy plantation. 
Send, O send a gracious rain. All will come to desolation unless thou dost bless us again. Break the tempter's fatal power. Turn the stony hearts to flesh. And begin this very hour to revive thy work afresh. Once, O Lord, thy garden flourished. Every part looked gay and green. Then thy word our spirits nourished. Happy seasons we have seen. But a drought has since succeeded, and a sad decline we see. Lord, thy help is greatly needed. Help can only come from thee. Let our mutual love be fervent. Make us prevalent in prayer. Let each one esteemed thy servant shun the world's bewitching snare. I believe we've got a small taste of revival back on September 11th, 2001, and maybe in a few weeks and months after that. It's all but faded from the memory of most people. Christians have gone back to their work of blending with the world, and we've lost all of our power. And though we said we'd never forget, many have. Many have gone back to sleep. Many have allowed the darkness to creep back into this world, creep back into our own lives. The day is at hand. Now, it is high time to awake out of sleep. Now it's time to put on the armor of light, put on the armor of God, to wake up, to let God do something with us again. There's no time like the present to meet with God and to allow him to meet with you and to let him work a revival in us. Will you be willing to let him do that in you today? Because that's the only way that we're going to see revival. Revival doesn't come to a church. Revival comes to a person. And it spreads to the church. But the church is made up of individuals. And if revival is going to come to this church, it's going to have to start with you. It's going to have to start with me. Will you be willing to let God do that work in you? The sad thing is, most people would say, yes, yes. Start with me. And God starts to work on them. Oh, oh, a little too much. Actually, I take that back. No, I, I don't. Will you be willing to let God do that work in you? He wants to. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you so much for an opportunity we have to open your word. I thank you for an opportunity we have to see revival. There is no doubt in my mind that the Bible is filled with verses that say you will revive us again and our hearts will rejoice. But God, you're looking for vessels that are willing to clean everything else out and to be completely filled with the Holy Spirit of God so that we can move forward for you. What a tremendous thing it would be to see a revival start right here in this church. What a tremendous thing it would be to see you work a great and mighty moving of the Holy Spirit starting right here. I pray that our hearts would be open. And where our hearts have been touched, God, I pray that you'd help us to make decisions that would allow you to do your work in us. We thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please stand at your seats.